I do not have a Mother's Day message for you. And I know that's such a shock. And I want you mothers to know that I love you and it was nothing personal at all. I so wanted to have like a really fluffy, lovely Mother's Day. Like I really, in my heart of hearts, on those days, I always, special days, I want to have that special message and it just never works out that way. Um, but, you know, God's kind of been taking us on this journey. It's kind of fun. Um, it's, it's, I was talking to someone the other day, uh, they know that I like to plan and we were talking with some friends. They are from another church and, and, uh, so everybody there knows me and they know I like to plan. And, and we were talking about how I'm not planning messages. I, I meet with God on Mondays that God just in this season, he said, Marty, I just want you to meet with me on Monday. I want you to talk about what I want you to talk about, um, for, for a while. We're not going to do some of the series and all those things. So I had, messages and series ideas and plans for all the way through the end of the year, you know, been studying, you know, to make sure. And so now we're just not doing that at all. So it's very exciting. And so I was praying about what to speak and I felt like the Lord led me to a passage and it really goes back to um, one of our, our Monday prayer times. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter five, everybody. Acts chapter five, and a few weeks ago, I preached a message on conquering your fear, um, and we talked about how to overcome fear. Today is a different one because today I'm going to talk about a good fear. I'm going to talk about good fear today. There is good fear, and so this should be fun. So with the time we have left, Acts chapter 5, everybody. Now, Acts chapter 5, we're going to read the story of a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, to me, one of the most interesting stories in the book of Acts. Now, in the New Testament, Acts is our only book of history. You understand that? So in the Old Testament, we have several books of history. Um, you know, Kings and Chronicles and Ruth and Judges and all, you know. So, but when we get to uh, the New Testament, there's just one book of history. And it's the book of Acts. And Acts covers um, about 30 years of history. Uh, with the first century church. And so, but Acts chapter 5 is very early on. This, in fact, would have been the same year as the ascension when Jesus went to heaven. And so, the, so same year as the resurrection, you could say. And so, Acts chapter 5, uh, many of you know what happens in Acts chapter 5, but to me, it's so intriguing. Um, so, let's read it. It'll be fun. It's a very encouraging passage. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, because some of you know. It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own to control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter, they didn't have cell phones there, but they didn't find my friends, nothing like that. Live 360, nada. About three hours later, and she didn't know what had happened, and Peter answered and said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And then Peter said, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of God? 
Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried her, and buried her by, by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. You'd think that hurt their attendance, wouldn't you? Two members dead, and you know, it's, it's. But I want to keep reading. That's kind of the end of that. But look what happens next, and this is where I want to get to. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were filled with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were how many? They were all, all healed. I want to talk about good fear today, good fear. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we're going to need your help today. Because quite frankly, this message won't work without the anointing of God. And so, Lord, you come and you speak. You anoint these words. And, Lord, at the end of our time, let us be exactly where you want us to be, having heard exactly what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, it's a crazy verse, passage story, if you will. Because to me, it looks like it belongs in the Old Testament. Does anybody else feel like it belongs in the Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament, people were getting struck dead all the time. You know what I'm saying? So in the Old Testament, under, you know, under, the, under the law of Moses, if you will, um, for God to exercise this type of judgment, you would think, okay, that was, you know, all right. You know because God's like wiping out whole nations, you know. And, and, and by the way, on an apologetic note, because people are like, if God's good, why is he killing everybody? Well, you have to understand, for God, it's not murder, because God is the righteous judge and the creator of the universe, and it is up to him to carry out his judgment as he sees fit. Some people say, well, he wiped out all the Canaanites. Why did he wipe out all the Canaanites? Well, um, you know, it's not like the Canaanites were just a good little settlement of people that were just faithful and loving and kind. The Canaanites uh, were idolatrous murderers who sacrificed their children to Moloch. And so I think you have to understand, again, when people come to you with, real, well, God's good, then why did he kill everybody? It just shows an ignorance in the understanding of the biblical text and also a not understanding that you're not talking about a man. You're talking about God who is the righteous judge of all creation and who created everything and everybody. And he is, he is, it is up to him to exercise and execute judgment as he sees fit. We don't get to be the judge. He's the judge, everybody. Having said that, this to me, Acts chapter 5, looks like it belongs in the Old Testament. In fact, people have asked me, like, what happened here? And honestly, there's a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of theories about Acts chapter 5. You read commentaries. It's a lot of fun because it's like under the covenant of grace, right, where the grace of God has been applied to our lives 
How is it that God could execute this type of judgment? And I would just say again, he is justice. He is judgment. He can execute judgment and carry it out as he sees fit. A lot of theologians say, well, number one, we're not sure Ananias and Sapphira were really true believers that they'd really received grace. I don't know how, you know, there again, that could be a theory. It is a theory. We can't prove it from the text. Uh, one, one commentary said, that, one commentator said this, he said, well, uh, we don't know that God actually killed them. And I'm like, I understand the text does not say God killed them. It says they breathed their last or they fell down and breathed their last. I guess it is possible both husband and wife within three hours of each other suffered a major heart attack right in the presence of Peter. I guess that could be possible, but probably not likely. So to me, I'm not going to try to theorize exactly what happened. I just want to look at what happened and the effect of what happened. Does that make sense? Because what happened was, and, and there were some great things that happened. It established the apostles' authority. Remember, this is right after the ascension. And so it did establish um, the apostles' authority. But when you're looking at a text, there's some redundancy in the text. There are two different things that appear two times in the text in the, 11 verse, in the first 11 verses. Um, and then we read a few more. And to me, one of the phrases that appeared twice was, and great fear. And great fear fell on all, gripped all, depending on your version. And it's interesting to me that after, after you have that great fear, the next verses start talking about great power. We were in Monday prayer. Monday prayer, by the way, is probably the best service we have at Pathway, the best experience we have if you're interested in the presence of the Lord. Um, it's probably the most powerful uh, a few weeks ago, and where this message, I guess, really started, because this is where the Lord took me back to, a few weeks ago, I was praying. I was leading prayer for a moment in, in our prayer time, and um, I, would, I, I didn't really have a planned prayer. I was just kind of leading as the Spirit was prompting, right? And I remember I said something as we were praying that, that it, it just resonated and stuck with me because it wasn't really a thought that I had had. It, it just felt very prompted and organic and led by the Spirit in the moment. And what I said was, the revival we need to see is on the other revival of the fear of the Lord. What I essentially said is the first revival we need to see is a revival of the fear of the Lord, and that revival would carry us into a revival where we would see the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit working and people being converted. And, and when God brought me back to that, I felt like it was coupled with Acts chapter 5, because regardless of how you see the text, it, what you can't deny about the text is there was this incredible event we can't really explain. I mean, yes, you can philosophize and you can kind of exegete and try to figure it out. But the bottom line is this. Great fear fell on the church and then the power of God began to move as, in an unprecedented way. That's, that's the bottom line of, of the events of Acts chapter 5. Great fear falls, power of God falls. Great fear, power of God. And I believe, without a doubt, there is a correlation between the fear of God and the power of God. And I believe without the fear of God, you will not see the power of God. And that's really what I want to talk about because this is the church I'm privileged to lead. And I want us to see the power of God. And I think our church wants to see the power of God. I, I've met very few Christians like, no, man, I don't want to see the power of God. Like, that's silly. 
No, because we need, and, and I think the, the state of our nation, we understand we can't elect a fix to what's going on in our nation, regardless of whether you're a donkey or an elephant or somewhere in between or neither or whatever, you can't elect, we, we can't solve it through an election. We need the power of God. When you see what's going on with young people in our schools and shootings and all those things, you can't legislate morality. I'm not going to get into the politics of what laws should and shouldn't be. I'm just going to make the common point, you can't legislate morality. That's what history's taught us. Most criminals don't obey laws. It's, I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, you see what I'm saying? It would be, let me just say this, I wish you could legislate morality. I wish you could because we could solve a lot of problems by re legislating reality. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't pass laws. I'm not saying there aren't good laws. I'm not saying we should be lawless. I'm just making the point, I think we all know at this point, an election's not going to solve it and a law's not going to solve it. We need God to move. Are you with me? All right? And so I want to talk just for a few moments really on something <laughs> that's Probably not popular because you don't hear it talked about a lot in church. I want to talk about the fear of the Lord. When we're talking about the fear of the Lord, what are we talking about? We're not talking about being afraid of God. What we're talking about is being afraid of being without Him. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, and it's very much all throughout the Bible, it's not talking about the fact that we should be afraid of God. It is talking about holding God in the proper place, that a place of esteem, of reverence, of respect, of awe, of, of, of wonder, right? To venerate Him, right? To hold Him in the place that, that He is due, to value Him, right? It, it means that we hate what God hates and we love what God loves. I want to say that again. It means we love what God loves and we hate what God hates because I think today, and time out. If y'all don't know me, if you're new, I just kind of say it, what needs to be said because I'm not worried about getting canceled because I so far have not been uncanceled. So whatever, whatever it is you have before you get canceled, I don't have that, so I'm not worried about the other. You understand what I'm saying? But I've just decided we just need to talk about, we need to be in reality, right? So the bottom line is, um, today in Christian, we don't hate what God hates. We make allowance for what God hates. We cozy up to it. We pretend it's not that bad. In fact, many believers day, today use grace and the concept of grace to see how close to sin we can get and how much sin we can get in the church and still be okay. I want to remind you, Jesus Christ did not die for your indulgence. He died for your forgiveness. And so when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're talking about being reverent and in awe of him and saying, if he hates it, I hate it, right? If he loves it, I love it. And this can be hard when you have people with, you know, you talk about the, the LGBT, I call it a religion. That's basically what it's become, the movement. LGBT. Well, God hates sin, but God loves people. And this is where the church always struggled because it seems we either get in the hate camp or the love camp. We get in the love camp and we just say everybody's okay and everything's okay and all your sin is welcome. We get in the hate camp and say, no, everybody's the devil. And they're both wrong because we love what God loves and God loves people. We hate what God hates and God hates sin. Are you with me? 
And so when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, I'm not afraid of God, but I'm terrified of being without him. So I don't want to live in a way that would disrupt my fellowship with him. I don't want to do anything that would cause distance with him, right? Because why? I was created to be in the presence of God, to know the presence of God, to follow the presence of God. And listen to me, if the presence of God is optional, the fear of the Lord is absent. If in our lives, the presence of God is optional, then the fear of God is absent. Because when there's the fear of the Lord, it's like, I can't live without him. I can't breathe without him. I can't, I can't go through life without him. I was created by him and for him. In him, I live and move and have my being. I, the presence of God cannot be an option for me. I must have it in order to live and to be who God created me to be. And because, because the, the presence of the Lord isn't optional, then there's the fear of the Lord because I don't want to do anything that would keep me from the presence of the Lord. Let me, because I always think you should tell people the benefits of something because in our current society and a lot of the preaching is just all about how everything blesses us. So I want to give you this because it's true. It is true. There are benefits to the fear of the Lord. I'll go through them really quickly because it's not really the message, but so I can say it was a positive, encouraging message. I put this in here. So this is the positive encouraging section, everybody, right? This is tuning in right here. So like the benefits of the fear of the Lord, number one, wisdom, Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's what Solomon said. You can't figure anything out without God. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Nothing makes sense without God. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I can't know anything without God, all right? Long life, Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs your days. How about this blessing, Psalm 128? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. That comes from the fear of the Lord. Protection, Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children have a place of refuge. And then how about this life, just life in general. Proverbs, I love this proverb. You should write this one down. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. This is what I said the fear of the Lord does. The fear of the Lord turns me away from death. The fear of the Lord makes life work. It is the source of life. It's, it's how life works. It produces fulfilling life, and it keeps me from destruction. It's the fear of the Lord. So what does it look like when there isn't the fear of the Lord? Well, to me, we go back to Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira. I made three observations about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 that I think are indicative of or represent a life that's not lived in the fear of the Lord that I think are applicable to modern-day Christendom. Are you ready? Remember, just, let me just remind you, I gave you the encouraging section. <laughs> let me just remind you that. I, I'm your friend. I love you. <laughs> the first thing is this, a life without the fear of the Lord. Number one, seeks association without consecration. Association without consecration. To me, this is pop Christianity. Because we live in a day where Christianity is like a million miles wide. Everybody can get in. But it's about a half an inch deep. Right? It's, everybody can get in. Whosoever will. Well, that's true. But I remember Jesus saying that Christianity was actually not the wide path. It was the narrow way. And he actually said the wide path leads to a totally different destination. 
there really is a highway to hell. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but there's a trailway to heaven. Praise the Lord, everybody. We're just having so much fun. But to me, when I look at modern-day Christian, I see a lot of people who want to be associated with the cross, but no one wants to carry theirs. And so what I see is a lot of people who want association with Jesus, even associate. That's what Ananias to fire. Look, they wanted association with the church. Well, why do they want association with the church? Because that was the new thing in town. And not only that, that was where needs were being met. Like I laugh, here's my little joke, and I'm not going to talk about giving, but here is a little joke for all the people that say, well, tithing is antiquated and it's under the law. I believe in grace giving. Okay, well, let's go to the book of Acts and study grace giving because here's what grace giving is. They brought everything they had and laid it at the disciples' feet. So let me just ask you, you know, you can just pick. So if we go to tithing, you bring 10%. If we go to grace giving, you bring 100%. Now, you can pick which one you like now. And remember, five out of four people don't math well. Anyways, um, <laughs> but, the, but the point is, like, they wanted it, it. The point, and Peter makes the point. He's like, hey, the land was yours to do with whatever you want. They sold a possession. Probably some theologians think what happened is Barnabas emerges on the scene in the church, and Barnabas was encouraging, and he was very generous, and he gave an extraordinary gift, and Ananias and Sapphira wanted the fame or the accolade of, of being so sacrificial, so they sold a big portion of land, but then the amount was too much, so they decided to lie and say, well, we sold it for, we'll just say $100,000, when truthfully they had sold it for $200,000, and then they gave $100,000. Peter said, it didn't matter. You could have given the hundred. That'd been fine. You didn't have to necessarily give anything at all, but you lied. Why? Because you wanted association. You wanted to look like you were part of the church, but not be branded. You wanted the brand of Christianity on the outside, but not the brand of Christianity on the inside. You wanted, you, you wanted the Christian t-shirt without the consecrated heart. Right? Like, I want to be associated with the church, but ultimately, I don't want to be fully surrendered to Jesus. Because if I'm fully surrendered to Jesus, I have to give everything to him. And I don't want to give up everything, but I do want the association. I don't want to surrender every part of my life, but I do want the association. So what I see is association without consecration. Here's the second thing, lack of the fear of the Lord, sin without remorse. Well, it got comfortable in here, didn't it? It's very comfortable, Pastor, and I love talking about this on Mother's Day. What in the world were you thinking? <laughs> Let me say it another way, premeditated sin. Sin without remorse. They, they, they said, said, how could you conspire to sin? Like, these are good Jewish people. They knew you don't lie. And, and I'm wondering, like, today in, in, our, in our lives, in our church, it's, it's almost like sin's okay. Sin has become so okay, we can premeditate. We can just choose to do it. It's like no big deal. And, and yet the Bible says, give no provision to the flesh. Like, don't make a provision to walk in the flesh. Don't make a provision to live in sin. And In fact, be proactive to walk in righteousness. That's the teaching of the actual New Testament scriptures. But yet I watch so many people that have no remorse for sin and premeditate sin and actually choose to continue in sin. Right? What is, I think it's the writer of Hebrews 
Uh, but the scripture definitely says, hey, after if you continue in sin after receiving knowledge of the truth, there's no longer a sacrifice for your sins. That's actually in the Bible. That went over well. So, um, so sin without remorse. And then, and then here's the third thing I see, inclusion without intimacy. I want to be included with Jesus, right? But I don't want to be intimate. See, consecration is, is more about surrender. Intimacy is about relatedness. Let, let, me, let me show you what I mean. Inclusion without intimacy means I want to be a Christian, but I want to figure out how close I can be to the world and still be a Christian. Everybody got it, didn't you? That was a good explanation. I felt that one, right? Right? Like, like, like I want to be a believer, but how much sin is okay? Because, like, I don't want to, like, and, and here's, what, here's what Scripture, and here's what Jesus calls us to, to take up our cross, meaning not in, being included and intimate with him says, no, no, I'm, I want to be included, but I only want to be as close to Jesus as I have to be in order to receive eternal life. That's not what Jesus called us to. He's called us to intimately know him, which is to give up to pure those having received this hope. John says, purify themselves. And Jesus has not called us to see how close we can live to the world and still be saved. He's called us to follow him as far away from the world as we can get. That's intimacy. That's like, I want to be as close to Jesus as I can be, not as close to sin as I can be. Are you with me? So when, when you see, listen, when you see association without consecration and sin without remorse and inclusion without intimacy, you have a lack of the fear of the Lord. Like how could Ananias and Sapphira do what they did, right? It's a lack of the fear of the Lord. So, so what do we need? Well, we need a revival of the fear of the Lord. Here's what you need to understand. People are saying, we want to see the power of God. We want to see God move. Well, God won't come where he's not feared. God doesn't show up where he's not honored. Look, look at this verse, Psalm 25, 14. It says this, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Look at that, look at that. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. What this indicates is that a fear of the Lord is necessary for the more I fear him, the more close I am. And the more I fear him, the more he lets me in. Right? And if we want to see, if we want to see the power of God, let me I'll give you one example of the fear of the Lord and the power of God. What did Jesus say when when he wasn't able to heal but just a few sick people? Remember what he said? A prophet is not without honor in his own town, among his own people. So Jesus said, because there was no honor, there was no power. Honor is the fear of the Lord. If you fear God, you honor him. Are you with me? And so, and so when we're talking about seeing the power of God in our homes, in our lives, at our work, wherever it is, then, then there is a correlation, Jesus said, between the fear of the Lord and the power of the Lord or the power of God. So how do we get, see the power of God? Well, look at Acts chapter 5. There has to be a revival of the fear of the Lord. And it's on the other side of the revival of the fear of the Lord that you see Peter's shadow here healing the sick 
and all these people being converted and, and et cetera. And so then the question, this is the question I asked, so, so how do I increase the fear of the Lord? Because this is what I understand. How, how do I increase the fear of the Lord? Because in my own life, it's like, Lord, I, I think the culture may have crept in too much. Status quo may have kept crept in too much. I may be perverting grace in my own heart in some ways. And so I want to increase in the fear of the Lord. And what I came to is you increase in the fear of the Lord when you see him the right way. Why was there an increase in the fear of the Lord in Acts chapter 5? Because God killed people. It's like, oh, dang, <laughs> like he's the judge. You go, Jesus. You know, like, oh, like he can do it. <laughs> won't he do it? That's usually not what we're talking about when we say, won't he do it? Like striking people dead. Anyways, you understand what I'm saying? But all of a sudden it was like, we see he is the almighty creator of, listen, when I, the fear of the Lord increases when I see God as he is. The fear of the Lord decreases when I see God as I think he should be. Are you with me? When we essentially dumb God down to what makes sense to us, then, then he really kind of becomes a pansy we don't need to fear anymore because he's not a judge anymore. No, just grace, grace for everybody. Grace, grace, grace. Right? Like he doesn't judge sin. He doesn't even care about it anymore. Right? Like he's not concerned about those things. He's just kind of my genie in the bottle. He's just supposed to follow me around and sp sprinkle Jesus dust on me. Sprinkle a little Jesus on my life. Make sure everything goes okay. And so what happens when I see God as I think he should be, the fear of the Lord goes down. Like when you look at the Bible, there's some interesting descriptions of God. Things like the, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the, God, of, of the Lord. Nations tremble in fear. God defeated the enemies with a blast of his nostrils. He blew his nose and killed them all. <laughs> like, that's bad to the bone right there. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, how did God kill him? Hebrews 12 gives one that we see all through the Bible. It says, don't forget, the writer of Hebrews says, don't forget that our God is a consuming fire. He consumes his enemies. He burns up sin. He purifies the unrighteous. Like, don't forget that he is a consuming fire. Right? And when I see God the right way, the fear of the Lord goes up. So, so what is it to see God the right way? Well, two things. I'll give you these, and then, and then we'll have to be done. But the first thing is this. The first thing is this. It means to tremble at his presence. Like when there's the fear of the Lord, I tremble at the presence of God because this is the awesome God, the almighty creator of the universe. This is the God who, if he blew his nose, we would all cease to exist. Right? This is the consuming fire God. Mountains melt like wax God. Holds the whole ocean in, in just the little palm, all the water in the palm of his hand. Like this is that God who spoke and everything that I know exists. And yet I'm going to come into his presence? Like you remember in the Old Testament and the priests, they had to put the little bells on their robes? Because if they went in and they were unworthy, if they hadn't been purified, if they'd messed up any of the, the, the ceremonies of purification, they just died in the presence of God. 
And so they'd tie a rope around their leg, and if the bell stopped ringing, they'd just drug them out. Like, this is God, yet we're going to go into his presence today? So what is it? Like, I tremble at his presence. Psalm 119, 20, I like this. My flesh trembles for fear of you, David said. Isaiah 11, verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord rests upon him. He's talking about Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Like, one of the things that's supposed to happen when we get into the presence of God is the fear of the Lord. It's interesting to me because, and I'm going to say something, I'm going to help the worship team out a little bit today. No, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, Jesus, please don't. It's Mother's Day, Pastor. Um, but Jesus correlates our worship and the fear of the Lord. And he does it in such a cool way because in, in Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus, in Matthew 4, in Luke 4, the temptation of Jesus where Satan says, you know, hey, I'll give you all the kings of the world if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus says, Jesus says this, he says, uh, this is Matthew 4.10, then Jesus said, away with you for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now Jesus is quoting from Torah from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Now Jesus said, do you remember what he said? You shall worship the Lord and serve him only. You remember that? The actual Hebrew is you shall fear the Lord and serve him only. Jesus actually interchanges the concept of the fear of the Lord with worship. Meaning that the fear of the Lord, remember we're talking about trembling at the presence of the Lord. Well, what does the fear of the Lord do? It, it, create, it, it, it fosters worship. Why? Because if his presence, like God, you are God. Now, this is where I'm going to have fun and help the worship team out and we're all going to just have a good time together. I'm just wondering today when you came into worship, did you approach it like you were approaching the, God in the, in, in, the, in the fear of the Lord? Well, that went over well. So let me pastor just a minute, okay? And what I mean by that is I'm going to say some things that, that are challenging, but I've really worked on this part to not sound mean. And I feel that's growth. Because I'm thinking about when we approach the Lord and we're saying we, we, we have the fear of the Lord, and there's an opportunity to come into the presence of the Lord in his house, what should that look like for someone who fears the Lord? Because I don't know that that, you know, I felt like the Lord gave me this analogy. It's kind of a fun one. So we have a, an eight-year-old who's in Little League Baseball, and we tell his coach, we're so committed to Little League Baseball, we're going to make sure he's there 20 minutes early for his baseball game, right? And that's being a good parent responsible, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. But y'all see where I'm going with this, right? And we tell the almighty creator of the universe, I'll try to get there before worship's over. But it really kind of depends on how quick Starbucks is with my coffee. Because I'm going to, I'm going to drink coffee the whole time worship's going on anyway if I'm not on Instagram. But I have the fear of the Lord.
Yes, I am, and I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Yes. I'm going to crawl up right in your pew with you for just a minute. Because you have to hear my heart, guys. I want to see the power of God. I think you want to see the power of God. I think that's something we all agree on, right? But I think culture, we have to look sometimes and realize culture, even church culture, may be leading us away from the power of God and not to it. Because if church culture is leading us towards the power of God, then we're going to be preaching on the fear of the Lord. If church culture is leading us towards the power of God, we may talk about actually coming with a... Like, isn't it interesting we'll get like... Okay, let me, let me help the men. Isn't it interesting if you're going to play 18 holes, you go an hour early, you stretch, you hit range balls. Let me just say, when I was in high school, I never had to stretch to hit a golf ball. Now, if I try to swing a golf club without stretching for half an hour, somebody's going to the ER. The point is... Isn't it interesting when you're going to do something that, and I love golf, I play golf, but isn't it interesting you're going to do something like playing golf, you get there early and you prepare yourself for that. And it's a, it's a round of golf. And women, I don't know how you prepare for shopping. I don't know if there's certain stretches that you need. To, I don't know, you know, or, or maybe it's scan and scan and scan, insert, insert and tap. And t- I don't know how that works. Okay. I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm just messing with you. The point is, isn't it interesting we prepare for so many things and we don't prepare ourselves to enter the presence of the Lord? Isn't it interesting we're on time for so many things and we struggle to be on time when it's entering into the presence of the Lord? And and I know this is the 815, but we do have an 1145. Like if you're struggling being on time at the 815, you could shoot for the 1145. Like if you start at 8 o'clock, surely you can hit the 1145. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to make the point. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm just trying to make the point. We want to see the power of God, but we don't see the power of God without the fear of the Lord. And part of the fear of the Lord comes when we tremble at the presence of God and see God as he is. Here's, here's the second thing. We tremble at his presence and we tremble at his word. What does it mean to tremble at, at the word of God? Well, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says this. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So this is Solomon. And we know Solomon kind of, he got into a lot of wives and they kind of moved his heart away from the Lord, but he comes back to the Lord, right? And he let us hear the conclusion. So this is, Solomon's like, I'm going to sum it all up right here. Here's what he said. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. Like, fear God. Well, what does it look like to fear God? Keep his commandments. Why? Because he's God. <laughs> like, he's God. When, if, if I fear the Lord and he's almighty God, his commandments aren't optional for me. It's not based on how I feel or if I agree. Like, this blows me away, everybody on TikTok and Instagram, and they're picking apart the Word of God. Like, I don't really like this part. I mean, essentially, that's what they're saying. I don't really agree with this part. I don't really like this part. We've had pastors do it, and I'm like, well, no wonder there's no power of God. Somehow, we've become God, and we're trying to make Him serve us, and we become the judge, and we decide what parts of God are actually okay and what parts of God aren't, and what parts of His Word are actually okay and what parts aren't. And we wonder why there's no power of God because there's no fear of God. So when it says to tremble at his word, what does that mean? It means obedience, to obey his commands. 
when, when you're talking about that, there's no to, to, to explain. Let me explain that, and then we'll be done. So Abraham is the best example and really the best understanding of what obedience, I think, looks like. Abraham, God tells him to kill Isaac. Most of you remember the story. God tells him to kill his son Isaac to sacrifice him to God after God promised Isaac, and now there's Isaac. Now it's like, I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham, three-day journey up on Mount Moriah, he's about to slay Isaac, and he pulls back the knife to slay Isaac, and God stops him. And then God says, and now I know you fear me. How did he know he feared him? Obedience. What did that obedience look like? So let me give you four things. Obedience, number one, is immediate. He said, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham got up the next morning and headed out. That's incredible. That's obedient. How many know most of us, if God told us to do, like, let me just say, me included, sometimes God tells me to do things and it just takes me a while to convince myself I really need to do it because it's hard. Has anybody else been in that camp? See, but that's not what trembling at his word looks like. Trembling at his word is if God said it, I'm about to go do it right now. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. So, so it's immediate. Here's the second thing. It's, obe it's obeying when I don't see a benefit. Because isn't it true, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it seems like in, in modern day Christianity today, the only time we talk about obedience is when it benefits us. But there are times in our lives where God asks us to do things that are not a direct benefit or that we don't see the benefit at the time, and we may not see the benefit for a long time. Right? And so here's Abraham. What's the benefit? I'm about to slay my son. There's no benefit here. But I obeyed even when I don't see a benefit. I obey, here's the third thing, even when it's painful. Obedience when it's painful when it's not comfortable, and obedience when it doesn't make sense. All those I think you see in Abraham's life. Here's, here's Acts chapter 5. It's hard to explain exactly why it went down the way that it went down. I get that. But here's what's undeniable about it. God moves in a way, and awe falls upon the church. And immediately after that revival, if you will, of the fear of the Lord, there's a revival of healing, miracles, deliverance, salvation. And you can't disconnect the two. And so to me, I understand like there's nothing popular really about this message. I understand some of you may have brought your mom and you're like, dear God, she's never coming back. And I'm so sorry. And I love you. And, and next year I'm going to ask God if I can say something like really flowery and really wonderful. Here's the Mother's Day message. Teach your children the fear of the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that great? I just made a Mama's Day message, everybody. Here's all I'm saying, church. The fear of the Lord, and I don't have time to teach this, but the fear of the Lord produces purity. Pur purity produces intimacy. Intimacy produces power. The fear of the Lord produces purity, right? He said, draw near to God, I will draw near to him. Cleanse your hands, right? Purify your, your lives. What's that? Purity produces intimacy, right? Um, into, um, uh, intimacy, right? That's when God gets to see into all of us. There's nothing to hide. 
I'm close to God, right? So purity produces closeness to God, intimacy, and intimacy produces power. Those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. To me, for our church, and I think this is where the word of the Lord is, I think more than ever before in in our world, God wants to move powerfully. But he can't trust his power to people who don't fear him because if he did, they'd make an idol out of the power. To have the power of God without the fear of God runs runs the, the opportunity and the chance to misuse the power of God or to make the power of God God. And the power of God is not God. The power of God is the expression of God. It is God being God, but it is not God. Are you with me? And so where there's the fear of the Lord, God knows then, right? His secrets are with those who fear him. Where there's the fear of the Lord, God's like, hey, I can trust these people with power. I can trust these people with revelation. I can trust these people with with showing who I am and revealing myself more fully. And I think probably speaking for everybody in this room, that's what we all want, right? But the way to get there is the fear of the Lord. So I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna ask our our prayer team to come and and we wanna pray with everyone who needs prayer for anything. We wanna pray for you today as we close and, you know, Whatever you're walking through, if you need if you need a relationship with Jesus, if you want, need God to touch your body, if you just need encouragement, you prayer, whatever you would need prayer for, we want to pray because we definitely believe God meets us when we pray. But as a church, and I know this is such a weird Mother's Day message, and I'm sorry, moms, and I love you. Um, and I really argued with God about the message, and then I decided I would fear Him. Um, but I just want to pray for us that we'd see God the right way. That's why I want to pray. I asked the Holy Spirit, how do I end this thing? Like, he said, pray that they see me the right way. And so today, will you bow your heads? Holy Spirit, we humbly ask that you would help us see God the right way. Help us, God, to see you. God, we don't want to bring you down to our level as the scripture says. Like, like, like we don't want to make a version of you that is less than you. And God, the Holy Spirit shows us who you are, reveals and glorifies you. And so Holy Spirit, I am asking in this moment for something completely supernatural on behalf of everyone that is listening to this message, and that is that you would show us who God is, that he is the almighty, that he is the all-powerful, that he is the all-knowing, that he is all present. That the mountains do melt like wax. That the nations do see and tremble. God, that he holds, as we sing as children, he, he holds everything in his hands. There is none greater, none before and none after. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And God, we, our heart is just to honor you, to revere you, and to love you, to esteem you, to reverence you. And so, Lord, I pray for me, God, just a return to the fear of the Lord, that I would once again tremble at your presence and tremble at your word. And God, when I when I read the Bible, I wouldn't, wouldn't see a version of you that makes my life what I want it to be, but God, I would just see you as you really are. 
And when I come into the presence of God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just see you as I think maybe you should be, but I would see you as you really are. Holy Spirit, just reveal God to us. The beauty of His holiness, the awesomeness of His splendor, the greatness of His majesty, knowing that there is none that compares. And God, again today, I do pray, bless all the mothers today. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, in our lives, in our church. We want to see your power and majesty. And God, first, we want to walk in the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise today? God is so good. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.